Welcome to Apaga University. I'm Inga. And I'm Julie. We are two entrepreneurs who have built an in-home care business from the ground up, guided every step of the way by God's care and fueled by agape love. 16 years later and over 100 podcast episodes already under our belts, we invite you to continue on this journey with us as we share stories that resonate, insights that inspire, and practical guidance that empowers you to face any obstacle along this path. Whether you're a professional caregiver, a family member, or are simply curious about what your steps will be when you need them, you have come to the right place. Oh, hey, and while you're here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And after that, make sure you send this to a friend. Yes, do it. All right, we'll quit fooling around and get to it. Let's go. Class is in session. Hello, Sunshines, and hello, Julie. How are you today? I'm good, Inga. How are you? I'm, I am so good. Yeah. I have been looking forward to this episode for a very long time. Yes. It's something that you've been working on coordinating with our guests today, mm-hmm. and it's finally coming together oh. due to another event that's happening in <laughs> somewhat in the area. So yeah. um, without giving it all away, <laughs> I would like to ask you, Julie, what do you know about organ donation? Well, you know, I I don't know a ton, except that I am an organ donor, Mm -hmm. and I know that it's just so important, because it it just shares shares so much more life if if your body is able to. Yeah. So I've got a lot to learn about it. Yeah, me too. I don't know a lot. I know of people who have needed live donations, Mm -hmm. and um, I have heard of people with after death donations. And so I'm excited to learn a lot more about this and actually talk to some people that are right in the thick of it. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe we should get into our verse for starters. That's perfect. All right. So you brought to us, um, John chapter 15 verses 12 and 13. Yes. And this verse says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that something that just nails today's topic? <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yes, you for your friends and for even a stranger who then becomes family. a beloved family yes, member. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's just get right into it, Julie. And um, if you listeners haven't picked up on it yet, uh, we are going to be talking about organ donation today. And so you brought to us actually some some ins- some inspiring stories about organ donations and both the living and um, after death donation. So why don't you talk to us about that a little? Right. When I was kind of researching donation um, and all of that, I did find um, a, 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 a blurb about 12 incredible stories of life-saving organ donations. Um, and this will actually be attached to the show notes because mm-hmm. um, I'm just <laughs> going to briefly touch on just a couple of them. Uh, boy, this uh, there's a college track athlete Cameron Lyle, who chose to end his career to donate bone marrow to a stranger. Lyle was a one in five million match to a young man who's with acute lymphoblastic lymphoma. He generously gave up his shot put career to save a stranger. Wow. Um, Tom Walter, a head coach of baseball at Wake Forest, donated his kidney to one of his players. Uh, Evan Hauk, a fun-loving and outdoorsy 13-year-old, um, passed away. He donated his corneas, allowing two others to see. Uh, I mean, the stories go on and on of people that just uh, thought of others, not just themselves, and allowed for more life. And um, here's another one. Uh, <laughs> Eduardo 
lost 40 pounds in two months in order to save his daughter. Um, and she was diagnosed with a biliary, uh, some type of uh, disease shortly after birth. And he was the one that had to donate, but because he was overweight, he must lose that weight immediately. And he was able to donate his liver to his daughter. Oh. Well, it's amazing. It's amazing <laughs> yeah. the things that motivate. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of really cool stories to continue. So I hope people would look at those. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. I think um, what we wanted to talk about before we get into the the real good news story of the day yeah. um, was just to talk a little bit about um, organ donations and transplants and kind of some facts about them um, so that people have a better understanding. And then we'll hear from um, what I would call experts. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. T- tell me. So some of the facts on who can donate an organ is it says just about anyone at any age can be an organ donor. Anyone younger than the age of 18 needs to have a consent of the parent or guardian, of course. Um, after organ do- donation, after death, a medical assessment must be done to determine that the organs can be donated because there are some conditions that don't allow for that. Mm-hmm. Um, infection, cancers, that type of thing. Um, and then... It, it will prevent you from that. But you need to let your transplant team know about any health conditions that you have at the beginning of the process, and then they will decide if you are a good candidate. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also, uh, does my blood and tissue type have to match the recipients? And it's definitely easier to transplant an organ if the donor and recipient are a good match. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to it. Yeah. How does one become an organ donor? So you can register register with your state's donor registry um, or and fill out an organ donor card when you renew your driver's license. A lot of these programs actually go through the MVD, your motor vehicle department, mm-hmm. um, and it's put right there on your uh, identifications. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so basically, can you be paid to donate an organ? No. No, no. They, it is illegal to pay someone for an organ. Um, so that is a no can do. Can you imagine? Yeah. Bad idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think there's a black market for it. Yeah. Turn your way in. There is in uh, foreign countries, unfortunately. Um, but if you are an organ donor, the family needs to know that they will have no extra expense, that that will all be covered, um, typically by the, uh, insurance of the recipient of that okay. organ. Yeah, and that was actually next on our list. It basically says, "Does will there be any cost to the family?" And know that generally that would be covered by the insurance, which is is good to know. Right, it's not an added burden, you know. Yeah. So, and even to the point where, um, if if wanted, um, in most cases, you can still have an open casket, Mm -hmm. right? Memorial. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like they're very, very respectful. They are. It's of, a special uh, doctor that does it, assisted by a nurse. Mm-hmm. Good. Good, because there is some pros and cons to mm-hmm. organ donation. So the pros, Inga? Um, basically, essentially, I would say the best one is just knowing that you're saving a life or lives. Right. Um, it could be someone that you know. It could be partner, child, parent, brother, sister, close friends. Or I think in, in your case, I'm assuming that you were strangers before you met. Yes. Before, this is what brought yes. you together. Yes. That's just incredible. And actually one one um, organ donor can actually help 80 different lives. Mm-hmm. Um, like in my case, I got a heart, but um, there are eight vital organs that can save a person's life. There are corneas, 
there's skin for burn victims. Mm -hmm. So instead of years ago where they'd take skin from a different part of the burn victim's body, right. which just opens them up to more infection and more right. pain, they can take it from a, a donor. Um, and uh, I have two artificial hips and uh, a back fusion and um, bone and tissue and ligaments um, can be no donated as well. Mm -hmm. And in the case of an athlete, uh, there's an example of uh, a person who getting um, a ligament mm -hmm. allowed them to go back to being a very high-level athlete. Oh, wow. So there's there's huge, huge benefits. Um, yeah, it's uh, like modern medicine is just crazy to me. Yeah, it's and amazing. And then when you, when you have people that are willing to give beyond it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah, I actually have a, um, uh, one of my uh, older daughter's friends went through, I believe as a kidney transplant, and a friend gave her, and they, they're just the sweetest, because their Facebook is just full of all of the, uh, now their sisters, they, you know, right. because of this gift, they are literally sisters, and they share the same blood, and, and the bond between the two um, is just, it's a really nice story. It did not go without a bunch of, you know, situations where they had to worry about the major surgeries, they had to worry about infection, and that's kind of the cons. Mm -hmm. We talked about the pros, and this is the cons, mm -hmm. and literally medications that you have to take, and, and all of that, you know, it's it's not just easy, but it, it is, becomes well worth it, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we thought we'd talk just a quick bit about um, some organ donation information in Montana, right. just because it's closest to us. Mm -hmm. So let's let's get through that, and then I, I just really cannot wait to get to yeah. you guys' story. For sure. And, and clearly, you have a lot more information to offer to this situation than we do. So right. it's exciting to have experts with us. Yes. Um, yes. As Julie, as you said, that in Montana, the organ donations, is they're handled through the Motor Vehicle um, Division in association with the organization called Life Center Northwest. And basically, um, you don't have to have a driver's license to be able to be an organ donor, but you do have to have an ID card or a social security number to be able to verify um, that you are who you are. Right. Is, that, is there anything else to that, Turner, that you can think of? Well, I believe Adrian can say, I believe Joseph didn't have a license. He just had an he ID. He just had an ID. Okay. And um, my, I grew up. Um, my mom always, we made sure to talk about that mm -hmm. as we got up there in age so we can make our own decisions. And so my two sisters, my mother and I, we all know what our plan is. Mm -hmm. And so I took that to my kids. Mm -hmm. And so when things happened to my son, it was, yeah, it was hard. But it also was a blessing because we knew that what we were doing was honoring his last wish, oh you know. And it, that is just an amazing feeling. I can't even imagine. And just the connection oh. between. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think we have to stop for two seconds and introduce Adrian. Since <laughs> he's already started talking. <laughs> <laughs> we can get there now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Let's scrap all this because I think these. Yeah, two we're going to let them have the floor. <laughs> we're going to let them have the floor. Yes. Yeah, so we are so lucky today to share with you all 
two amazing human beings, and we're just so blessed to have them with us. Adrian has actually worked with us as an APAGA accredited caregiver um, for at least four years. We were trying to off the top of our head 40. to remember how long she's been with us, and um, so she's a, a professional caregiver, and just blessed all of the people that she ever worked with us with. Yes. And today she brings with her, why don't you go from there? I'm Adrian, and I'm a mother who donated um, her son's organs when he was uh, involved in a car accident. And with his organ donation alone, because he was only 18 years old, and we knew what he wanted, we were able to donate everything, and him alone saved 30 lives. Wow. Him alone in all aspects. And I could not ask, and my family could not ask, Mm -hmm. for a better legacy than... The gentleman that is sitting next to me, his name is Turner Pruitt, and he is the one that has my son's heart. Oh, welcome. 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 And we do have a thing called a cryometer, (laughs) (laughs) and I brought my tissues because it's okay to be really real here, and and you just bear your soul to us, because uh, when did this happen to your son? Um, Actually, we just... uh, Past our fourteen-year mark of oh. losing him. Oh. Wow! So you've had his heart for fourteen years. Yes, I'm sixty-eight years old, and I received the heart at a week before I turned fifty-three, or a month before I turned fifty-three. Wow. So it's made a huge difference in my life. Right. Um, well, and I can't tell you all the ways that it's affected my life. As Adrian is talking about the legacy, it's very clear to me that this is um, near and dear to you. And the reason that you're able to come and visit us here in Kalispell, Montana, is because you are in the area for the Donate Life celebration. So talk to us a little bit about um, maybe in the beginning how things all started, how you ended up with each other, and then how it has grown over time and what you've been able to do with this to get the information out there and share your story. (laughs) Well, Donate Life is part of the UNOS um, organization, so United National Organ Sharing. Uh, They're called the OPO, the Organ Procurement Organization. And at the point where they know they have a donor, um, it's their people that match up with recipients. And with a heart, it's um, three factors. It's blood type, it's body size, because it actually has to kind of fit into a cavity in your chest, Mm -hmm. and it has to do with antibodies, um, which has to do with um, keeping us from getting rejection, which is one of our largest dangers um, post-transplant for the rest of our lives. We will take medications to keep us from our body wants to reject the foreign organ, um, so our immune system will attack it unless we're immunosuppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I take medication twice a day for that. It makes us more susceptible to cancer, infections, um, you know, things like that, pneumonia. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but so you know we have care the rest of our life to on our own and with our t- <coughs> transplant teams to take care of us and so so that's how it works so donate life uh, northwest even though they take care of uh, washington and montana they're in bellevue washington or their actual offices i've been there multiple times and they have four events every year to honor and celebrate, uh, honor the donor families and celebrate the life. And don't forget about the recipients. Oh, and, and the organ recipients. And um, so two are in the state of Washington and two are in Montana. And so I'm here for this Sunday. And this will be, the I think, the third, if not the fourth time I've come up here mm-hmm. um, for the event because it's, it's a great way to spend time with my donor family and then cap it off with the the event and there'll be uh, just be a, about a two-hour program it'll be a donor family speaking an organ recipient a member speaking and then there's some general information from the eye and cornea people which is actually was started 100 years ago by the lions group mm-hmm. and um and the interesting thing I find about that, because we had a cornea recipient speak, and he was a, a person from Montana, a farmer, but he was also a pilot from being in, uh, I think, Vietnam. And he actually would help them, and he would fly veterans to hospitals um, because I think the closest one was like three and a half hours from here. Wow. And, um, and he... he had to have a cornea transplant, and so he has a period of time where he could not fly, mm. and so it's it's a it's a huge deal. And and the amazing thing that I've I've learned is if thirty uh, percent of people who pass away in the hospitals um, do donate their corneas, and so there are lots of corneas available to those people, and you're actually giving someone back their sight, you know, which is a, a huge huge gift. Yes. Um, and if the corneas aren't used in this part of the country, they literally fly them, you know, to Florida um, because they have, they're usable for, I think, about four or five days. And the other thing about this event is um, it's like a family reunion mm-hmm. because you get to see uh, friends once a year, and then you get to meet new friends and to share your story and help other people, donors and recipients, um, through this journey. Because it's a tough journey, but it is very much a journey worth going through. You know, like I said, my son alone saved 30 lives. So... Turner, when this situation with Adrian's son happens, you'll have to tell us that story, and then I want you to tell us when the first time you two actually met after or before. I don't know. You tell us. Tell us how this, tell us your story, yeah. Well, I I had just turned 50 years old. Um, I had one daughter having finished college, the other one in her junior year of college, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an avid tennis player since the age of five. <laughs> I had just qualified for USTA Nationals, one of 17 teams in the country. And it was through tennis that um, I was practicing, and one evening, after about 15 minutes, I couldn't catch my breath on the court. I almost passed out. Um, 
And so they sat me down, and fortunately my primary care doc, who's uh, 10 years older than I, was on the court next door. (laughs) And so he came over, and he he took my vitals, and he said, I'll give you 10, 15 minutes to recover. And he literally went back out and played, and I just sat on the bench and and tried to relax and, and get back to normal breathing. And, and he said if if you didn't recover, he was going to call 911, the EMTs. And uh, I did recover. He said, you you drive straight home, and you're at my office at 8 in the morning. And um, so I went. He had been treating me for minor sinus infections for about a year and a half. And uh, so he took some blood, and everything was fine. He decided on his hunch, because he he'd known me for about 10 years, and he'd seen me play... 90-minute-long tennis matches, um, you know, working as hard as you can work um, and exerting. And uh, so he said, Turner, I have a hunch. I'm going to x-ray your heart. He said, this is not normal. We normally protect your heart from x-rays, but I have a hunch. So he x-rayed my heart, and he showed me the x-ray, and his hunch was right. I had an enlarged heart. Mm -hmm. And so the next morning, he had an appointment for me at the hospital to have my first echocardiogram, which is, you know, where they take basically kind of an ultrasound of your heart, get an actual picture of it, and they saw all kinds of problems. My left ventricle was so enlarged that my heart was actually rocking as it was beating, which is very bad. Um, I could I could get arrhythmias uh, long-term. It could cause the heart to change shape, go from a heart shape to a circle, mm-hmm. and then the four chambers won't work properly and the heart won't work properly. So that was the beginning of a 39-month journey um, from first signs of heart failure to um, transplant. And and in that 39 months, within three months, I, I kept going into atrial fibrillation, AFib, where your heart just flutters instead of pumping. And of course, that's that's bad. It can decide to stop. You can have a heart attack. You can throw a blood clot. You can have a stroke. So my first cardiologist, uh, literally, you know, at my three-month appointment, this was only the third time I'd seen him. I'm in the office, and I go into AFib and uh, in the office. And um, so this was the second time I'd been in it. And so, and they'd put me on a special drug called amiodarone. It's a very powerful drug. They told my wife, who's a nurse, don't look it up because the side effects are pretty serious. But, you know, without it, um, one of the big dangers, if you go into serious AFib when you're asleep, you can just be gone, and no one knows. So I was on that medication. It obviously wasn't working, and so the doc decided he was going to do an angiogram, which is where they, they go in through your carotid arteries down into your heart with a probe, a catheter, if you will, and they can do different things. They use a balloon and they take pressures from different parts of your heart that measures how properly and how strongly it's beating. And pumping blood, which is the big job that the heart does, it produces oxygenated blood to every organ and every part of your body. Um, and without that, those parts of the body um, don't function and or can can die. Um and be damaged, and then you have neuropathy, you have potential amputation. If it's an organ, you have all kinds of problems. Um, so 
during the angiogram, I'm deciding that I'm going to be kind of uh, light about it and a little sense of humor. I'm a little bit of a jokester. And <laughs> you're actually behind a little curtain, and he's so you can't see what they're doing. And he's talking to the techs that are taking these measurements electronically. And he tells the tech, I'm in the RV. And I decide to tell the, do- the doc, why are you in the recreational vehicle? <laughs> and that's, and he means right ventricle. Yeah. And that's the last thing I remember. My heart went down to 20 beats. And um, so I passed out. I woke up five, six hours later in the intensive care unit. I have wires out of my chest up to a pacemaker on a pole. And I had got also developed third-degree heart block, which meant I had no con- electrical conduction from chamber to chamber. And that's actually how it works, is your right atrium starts it and sends an electric pulse to the right ventricle. Mm. It does its thing, goes up to your left atrium, and then down to your left ventricle, and then it all starts over again. I had none of that, so my heart wasn't going to beat properly without the pacemaker. So four days later, they implanted it, and so I had that and all the way until transplant. I eventually, 13 months later, after being tested for every disease you can imagine, leukemia, amyloidosis, ALS, cancer, um, Lyme disease, because um, they were trying to figure out what was the cause of my health, heart failure, because I was a totally healthy 50-year-old um, being as active as I'd wanted to be until all of a sudden this was happening. And um, I was negative, of course, for everything. And then I reached my 13-month mark, and I went into VTAC on a Thursday night at home. And that's ventricle tach- tachycardia, and I f- it feels like a heart attack. I was coming out of the kitchen, bringing a plate of food to my wife because I like to cook. And... I had I made it to the couch and it starts in your chest and it goes up into your chin and then it goes into your ears, down your arms and it feels like the top of your head's going to blow off, and so we had, of course had to go to the emergency department and uh, I at that point they ended up transferring me to UW University of Washington Medical Center because it's the transplant center for Washington Alaska Montana and Idaho. So fortunately, I'm right there in Seattle. Um, I'm, uh, and that, that became my care at UW. <coughs> and they finally, through a special test of two, hopefully this isn't too medically complicated for people, but it's, yeah. it's, it's my story, and, and every person that has some kind of transplant has a story. Um, they had to do two special nuclear tracers into my bloodstream, 24 hours apart, put you in a camera, and it takes 40 minutes to take slices of your whole body. It's very difficult being crammed in there with your elbows oh, up. No. But um, you, oh. you, end, you end up learning to survive many, many different things that go on to your own body um, in the hopes that they'll figure it out. Um, those tracers go to where you have inflammation in your body, and I came up with three hot spots in my heart. And so if I, a process of elimination, they decided I either had giant cell um, or I had sarcoidosis, and they're both inflammatory diseases that attack the heart. And so my immune system thought my heart was infected and so was attacking it with T-cells, mm-hmm. 
that are little granulomas, and they actually attach to the heart tissue. More and more come, and they f- they turn into anthills, and so a lot of my left ventricle was being killed or was already dead, and that's why my heart wasn't working well, and I was I was going further and further downhill, to the point where I got to what was called thirteen percent ejection fraction, which is a measure of how much pressure your heart is expending to send blood to the rest of your body normal is 60 to 65 percent so i i ended up um 13 months homebound my last 13 months so so by now 26 months have gone by i've been on all kinds of different medications i've been watched Mm. and and now i was to the point where i was being listed for a heart transplant because the heart doesn't heal itself they, they knew what was going on, and it was just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. I was on huge doses of prednisone, 20 milligrams a day. And so I went from 188 pounds to 232 pounds, mm-hmm. and I was on a liquid diet because I couldn't digest food, solid food, because I didn't have enough blood to my, your different systems in your body to function. Wow. You know, I had neuropathy in my foot. If I stood up too quickly, I passed out. Um, because I didn't, my blood pressure those 13 months at home was 80 over 60. Um, So I I was, by the time the end of the 13 months, I was was a fighter. Um, I lived and kept telling myself, because I had to face my mortality at that point, and I'm a strong believer, so I wasn't wasn't afraid. I'd made my peace that... um, you know, I, I did either passed and I went to paradise, went to heaven with, um, with God and, uh, and Jesus, our Heavenly Father. And, or I did want to fight. I wanted to stay. And the reason I wanted to stay is I wanted to finish my job as a dad and walk my two daughters down the aisle. And um, I fortunately, I got that witch. I got the heart at just the right time. I, I would tell myself my Bible verse, which was Proverbs seventeen twenty two, a joyful heart's good medicine, oh. but a crushed spirit um, crushes the bones. And um, I eventually got rid of the second half. I just stayed with the positive part, a joyful heart's good medicine. Oh. And, I, and I tried to keep my good attitude. I ended up um, clinically depressed, which is not uncommon for people with, you know, chronic serious illness so they put me on um oh well butrin um it's just another pill to take it wasn't any big deal <laughs> and the, and the interesting thing is i remember very vividly um after about six weeks of taking it i woke up one day and all of a sudden it was like the cloud or the veil was gone and now colors were bright and vivid again Ugh. and i had my good positive attitude um, you know, and, and I was somewhat un- unaware that that was going on, but my wife was on top of it. My primary doc was on top of it. They were always asking me questions about, you know, how you, f- how you feel, you know, um, do you, f- do you feel like there's nothing that interests you? Do you um, feel like nobody cares about you? Do you, do you have thoughts of, you know, the world would be better if you're not here? Um, those are kind of the key questions that they ask. And, uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, if you're sick enough, you start to think 
about those things and you have no control over it. Um, It's just like if you're in chronic pain, your pain becomes who you are. You can think about nothing else except the pain. And that's why it's important in some cases for people to take pain medication um, so that they don't feel that way the whole time. Right. So I I was about, I was the point where I was ready to give up that it wasn't going to happen. And I just, I was too tired and, and then all of a sudden, I get the call on a Sunday morning at 108 in the morning. And where were you on that Sunday morning? I didn't sleep like normal people, normal <coughs> hours. I probably slept 12 hours a day, but it was a lot of naps for three and four hours. And um, so I actually was awake. We had actually just come back. I had permission, and we had a plan. I was allowed to go to our lake cabin, which was an hour and a half away. And the emergency plan was if I got the call, I was going to go to Bremerton. They were going to put me on a, a person-only ferry and take me to downtown Seattle. An ambulance would meet me and take me to the hospital. Well, fortunately, we had come home the day before. And so um, my brother and his family that we had spent years with at the cabin, they were all there. And, um, and so they all got to be there during my transplant. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, and on the donor aspect, um, when we got the call, um, we were in Oregon, and we immediately, as fast as we could, we got here to Montana, and um, it just was amazing how Heavenly Father worked because everything went so smoothly, and we were there at the right time. And there was a life, a community hospital life flight nurse that was behind the vehicle that my son was in. And that nurse, because of her work, our son was able to donate Mm -hmm. everything. Because without that work, you know, it it wouldn't have happened. And so... He was life flighted to uh, St. Patrick's Hospital, yeah, and because if anyone's without oxygen for five minutes, right, right. your organs are damaged and they right. wouldn't be good for donation. So the fact that she could get a chopper there that quickly and get him on life support, so it was another miracle that saved my life. Besides just getting a heart, everything right. has to align just perfectly. Uh-huh. And on that aspect. You know, yeah, it was an extreme tragedy, but you never question God's work, God's plan. And he needed Joseph at that moment, and Turner needed him at that moment. And his family needed him, and his family was with him when he got that call, and they were able to be with him during that. And, you know, he was able to walk his two beautiful daughters down the aisle. And then he was able to see each of his four wonderful grandchildren born and is able to be his papa, you know. And that's because of the gift of life that our son gave it, to it's, him and 
Turner has been so amazing of keeping his legacy. I'll never forget our son died just before his senior year. After he donated everything, we went back to Oregon, and we went through his senior year with his senior class, and it was crazy. We were swarm each time my husband and I were swarmed when we would come to the events and we were on the grad party committee and we were able to raise over $25,000 for the grad party and when they had their assembly their senior assembly that is when they gave my husband and I our son's honorary diploma. But the key was my husband and I had Turner and we had our son's lung recipient. No, I'm sorry, kidney recipient. Um, on Walk up to the stage and pick that up with oh, us. Wow. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Oh, I can't imagine, Adrian. There isn't a dry was, eye in this room. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and you know, Turner came to the senior breakfast. He, you know, he was right there, and he volunteered every Saturday on the transplant unit to tell our story and uplift you know, other, and give encouragement. Tell How soon after you got his heart did you get to meet each other? So I, fortunately, I recovered very well, very quickly. Mm-hmm. I was out of the hospital in eight days. Oh, my goodness. I was back to work part-time in three months, and I was back to work full-time in four months. And I actually, I worked for a manufacturing company. I was the master scheduler, the production scheduler, and we make medical equipment, all of which I used. Um, I was cardioverted twice um, with an AED. We make the pads that go on the patient's chest. We make the keyboard for the Medtronics defibrillator. Matter of fact, the first time they were cardioverting me, it was in the hospital, and I was so excited to tell them all about how it was (laughs) made that the tech finally looked at me and said, Turner, lie down. We need to do this. You can tell us afterwards. <laughs> and, and they actually they give you a little kind of cocktail that makes you la la, yeah. so you don't you don't feel it. I was fortunate; my ICD never went off because um, it will go off if you have an irregular arrhythmia and put you back into a regular um, right. normal arrhythmia. Mm-hmm. But it. I'm told it feels like it's a, a huge electrical shock. It feels like a horse kicks you in the chest. Uh, uh-huh. And um, and so it, it hurts and you're sore for a few right. days. But um, I also, we make the, and if you've been in hospital settings, and maybe you guys use them in home care, yeah. um, we make the whole user interface for the Care Fusion IV pumps. Mm, wow. um, it's a membrane switch. It acts kind of like a button. A bank machine you just push the button mm-hmm. for the number and it makes a connection between two layers of polyester that have pure silver conductive ink printed in an electric circuit 
<laughs> and then it has a tail with a connector just like you have with a computer and it hooks right into the central processing unit. So I I was the scheduler. We made those thousands and thousands for 10 years because they were being replaced in every hospital in the country mm. wow. because they were much safer and because um, it calculates the dosage. A human being can't make a dosage error by transposing digits or multiplying wrong because, as we know, um, if you give someone a wrong dose of certain medications, mm-hmm. it can be fatal. Yep. Unfortunately, that's happened a couple times at mm-hmm. Children's Hospital in Seattle. So that's why these units were being... Uh, and real quick, I want to emphasize that not every donor family or recipient want to meet. And there are very strict rules with Life Center Northwest mm-hmm. in order to make that happen if it is possible. Okay. And <coughs> Turner sent us a letter. He couldn't mention any personal stuff. All he could do was mention that he received our son's heart, you know, real general and no personal information. And then on my husband and I's part, he gave that to Life Center Northwest, and then they sent us the letter. And then at that point, we sent a letter back agreeing that it was okay, and that's when personal information is able to be given. And so then that's how we connected with Turner and his family, and how long after we got that did we meet in Seattle? Well, I'm, I, as I say, I recovered quickly, and I knew I wanted to know my donor family if possible. Uh-huh. And we are in the minority. Um, um, yeah, really? most definitely. Of people that I know, and I'm in charge of um, two events in the Seattle area for pre- and post-heart transplant patients. Um, it just must be too difficult for some people. I was um, wondering about that. To, to kind of have to relive it, if you will, in their mind, mm. um, even though they've been gracious enough to donate the organs. So I actually wrote my letter at six months. They received it by the seventh month, and I came home one day from work, and my wife goes, your donor mom called this afternoon. <laughs> and, and, and Adrian, you probably know, she's she's very enthusiastic, yes. if, if not excitable. <laughs> yes. And my, my wife, the way she told me, she said, yeah, this, this lady called and she started telling me that she's a donor mom and got the letter and wants to meet us and all that. And, and my wife, wife finally said, who are you? <laughs> and, and by the time they were finished, um, they told me, or they told my wife that William, um, her, her husband, uh, we're going to call that evening. And so he did call, and, and we spoke. And we actually first met in person. There was an event in Seattle hosted by Donate Life Northwest. And it was, in my mind, it was a really cool event. It was in an, uh, the old city hall, which had been an, an old church. And they had the donor families have a display about their person. So they had a nice big picture of Joseph. And then they had, um, you know, people had poetry that people had written. They had cards that people were into, like dun- dr- 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 Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Um, 
and so that they had a uh, they had a, a, a book that my sister put together of Joseph's life, and so <clears throat> he was able to learn about Joseph in that, and that is one thing I'll never forget when him, Turner and his wife saw that walk down that hall and saw that picture of Joseph, you could just see they're like, because that was the very first moment that they actually got to see a picture of him, of who actually gave him the gift of life. And they just, it was an amazing moment. So that's what I wrote as my impression from that first visit. Oh, my gosh, you should read it to us. Can you read it? Certainly. (laughs) So my donor is Joseph Daniel Gallinat, and um, he was a senior at Milwaukee, Oregon High School in 2008. He was a quiet, creative, humble young man. He would like to volunteer for jobs that others ignored. Joseph liked to be in the background. He was in Montana for the month of August, visiting his grandmother on her farm, Joseph was spending time uh, that month bucking bales of hay, digging ditches, and enjoying the great outdoors. He was killed in a tragic single-vehicle accident while taking pictures from the bed of the truck. Joseph saved or enhanced the lives of 30 people with organ, eye, and tissue donations. I have met his family several times and attended senior day at his high school, as well as visiting his gravesite with his parents. Joseph is a special person who, at the age of 16, decided to become an organ donor. I have met the recipient of his lungs and his liver. I am Joseph's living legacy and try to honor him every day. And let me tell you, he does every day and beyond represents his legacy and... Yeah, besides getting to work for another nine years before I retired, making more medical equipment, as well as a lot of other things. We make touch screens and membrane switches, which are used in all kinds of industries. I started volunteering. They won't let you do it for a year. Um, And I asked to volunteer in the intensive care unit. So I spent 10 years on an ICU advisory council. We were overseen by hospital staff. but we were either organ recipients or we had, they had loved ones who were organ recipients or had a patient that didn't make it waiting for an organ donation. And we got to do things like we immediately wrote a, a manual about the ICU because no one expects to be in the intensive care unit. It is a shock to not only the patient, but even more so maybe to the family. And um, so we wrote about all of the, you know, policies, the language that's used. You know, medical people have their own vernacular, sure. yep. which is foreign to most people. Um, we wrote about all the different resources having to do with social work and other um, things throughout the hospital, where to find, you know, the cafeteria and about parking and whatnot. We eventually wore the... Uh, parking um, people down, and we got um, free passes for families of people in the ICU. Um, So we took revenue away from the university. Um, We also, we started quiet hours. 
Um, you would think that an intensive care unit would be quiet, but there's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's x-ray machines coming in and out. There's balloon pumps for, you know, heart patients uh, that are used. There's, you know, and people sometimes use it as a shortcut to go to another unit. And so we actually put up um, meters that measured sound and measured it. And we wrote what's called an SBAR, which is a, a formal document for hospital management to make our case as to um, why we needed quiet hours. Um, the other thing that's huge that went on all the time every day is all these overhead announcements about everything and anything. Um, and um, so we started in the ICUs and um, got quiet hours from 9 o'clock at night till 7 in the morning because as a patient, you're already dealing with pain and pain keeps you from resting. And if you can't sleep um, and they finally manage your pain and you do get to sleep and noise wakes you up, that is horrible. Um, as a doctor explained it to me, because after my first couple surgeries post-transplant, I'd, I wouldn't always take all of my pain medication. I'd stop like after a, a hip replacement after four days and, and just gut it out because that's the way my family was. <laughs> there, there was two boys and my dad was a Marine drill sergeant and a born and raised in New York. There was, you know, just suck it up. And uh, the doc explained to me that your body wants to heal, but it will only heal if you're resting. So if you're in pain or if you're not able to sleep, actually sleep, um, which is when a lot of your systems in your body kind of go into, you know, low energy mode and now your body's immune system and its healing systems can take over and, you know, send blood and oxygen and fluids to areas that need to be healed. And so that's why quiet hours are so very important. And, of course, you know, when you have visitors there, you know, and some people, if someone's waiting for a heart transplant, um, the wife, the spouse may stay in the room. Um, so they're there as an advocate, and they're aware of the noise um, because, you know, they're hypersensitive to taking care of their loved one. And so it was something that we found because we took patient and family surveys and that's how we came up with ideas of things that needed to be addressed. Mm. And so we got to do that, and it was huge. And it eventually, so one of the first things was get rid of all the overhead pages. You don't need to hear them in the ICU. Right. Um, and then in, in start these quiet hours, and it got to a point where after a year of and seeing how well it went in the ICU, it went hospital-wide. And so today, because of our work, it went hospital-wide. But... You know, some people might think that a heart transplant, you know, is, is a disability. Now, I, I do have to deal with things that other people don't, like taking um, very important drugs that, you know, are a problem. I have to have labs every four months to check my kidneys, my liver, um, my lungs, everything else. And I, have, I had 24 biopsies in three years where they go in and they... We, we joke, they give you a new heart and they take it back in little pieces because that's how they, that's the only real way they can check for rejection. Sure. So they go in, in the cath lab with a catheter and they go with a little 
a chomper tool, a biotome, and they go into the septum, which is kind of the center part of your heart, and they take five or six little snips and put them in Petri dishes, goes to pathology, and they're looking to see how healthy the tissue is. And they can see if you're in rejection, and there are four levels of rejection, three of which you don't have to be in the hospital. They can be treated with medications of different strengths. The fourth, the most serious one, you need to be in the hospital, and they're giving you special IV drugs, and they're, they're fighting the rejection. Um, so so there, was, there was that. So I, I did. I, I volunteered on Saturdays um, when I wasn't working, and I managed over about nine years to do 1,000 hours, and I got more out of it than I put in. But people, I tell you, there's nothing like seeing someone who has the same illness or in my case, a heart transplant, you can't look at me and know that I had a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. And so for a patient lying in the bed, knowing they're going to have to go through it and looking at me and going, you look normal. And I say, well, I mostly am, except for these exceptions. So, you know, that's a huge value. And then I could also talk to the family uh, about someone in the family needs to be an advocate when Mm -hmm. you're in an intensive care unit because the patient's got enough to deal with just with what's going on with doctors and pain and procedures they're doing to you. As as people will joke, you know, they're always poking and prodding you. You know, they're taking your blood pressure. They're taking blood. They're, you know, doing something with an IV. So it's, it's not a restful place. Um, So I I got to do that. I'm, I'm now since COVID and we can't volunteer, I'm on the patient safety review council where any patient or any person involved in a case and it doesn't go the way we, we would like, optimum, they can write um, a report and then we'll do an in-depth re- uh, investigation and then bring a group together um, and look at it from a quality standpoint like lean manufacturing and try to make corrective action so we improve our care and it doesn't happen to another patient and it, it can be anything from, you know, just an inconvenience, an extra medication for a few days to temporary harm, having to have another surgery or something splinted because you had a fall, um, to all the way to the point of, of death, which, you know, no one in the medical field wants to cause a death, but sometimes horrible things happen. Right. And um, I'm the only <clears throat> non-medical, non UW Washington Medical Center person on that committee. And so <laughs> I, it's a huge honor for me to do that. And they love having me because I come from a totally different perspective. Yes. Yeah. I'm just shaking my head because everything that you're saying is this is what you volunteer. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, this is just incredible. You have done huge well, things. On the other aspect, he's also done incredible things for his donor family. Um, who gave him the gift of life. Um, The first time we met, Turner made a -A Build-A-Bear for us. And in that bear is a recording of my son's heart that he had made for us so he could put that in the bear. And all we have to do is replace the battery. So we always will have his heart, you know, his heart so if we miss wow. him, we were able to 
you know, squeeze and hold that bear and have him right there with us. He's, you know, he visits, you know, us, and we go visit him and constant contact. And he goes to the transplant games. Mm-hmm. And this last one um, in Salt Lake City that he went to, I was not able to make it, but my husband, William, and my son, Clifford, were able to make it. And I don't know who did what, um, but he won a gold medal, which every year he has won a gold medal (laughs) in singles tennis. I was going to ask if you were playing Uh tennis again. What's that other medal that you won in Salt Lake that... I actually, it's it's doubles, which is my expertise. I started tennis at five years old, so, <laughs> and I played. I actually played with a pacemaker mm-hmm. um, for about nine months. They actually, after I initially got used to it, and my body did. They, they, they wanted me to be able to exercise, so they actually raised my upper heart rate limit so I could go to 160 <laughs> beats. Um, <laughs> and no, nothing would fire, nothing would go wrong, and so. Right. I didn't play at the same level, but I still went out and played. And that was another thing that helped me to, you know, rehab afterwards. Um, One of the biggest things is just walking. Mm -hmm. So within six weeks, I was walking 40 total minutes. I would go to the local junior high and walk around the track. And to me, that was so wonderful because I had been homebound for 13 months. Mm -hmm. I had very, very few people visit me uh, on purpose. Um, and so everything that I got to do over again, you know, go swimming um, for exercise, go walking, go back to work, those were just, each one was a new first for me and a huge gift. Right. Um, Never take anything for It's a gift on our part because it's, you know, he's living our son's legacy. But my husband and my son were able to go on the podium and put his medals on him in Salt Lake. (laughs) And just last night, because he had just come back from San Diego about a month ago Mm -hmm. from the transplant, and he presented my mom with his gold medal from San Diego's transplant games. You know, and it's things like... Those little things that he does is up and beyond. Yes. You know, I mean, I could go on and on and on of what he has done for my family. And, you know, and the gratitude that we get from him. You know, we couldn't ask. It sounds like not everybody's near as lucky as you two. Because Unfortunately not. Because Unfortunately. Of, you said so many people are not able to within themselves exactly. deal with it again. You know, it, it becomes and, new and um, raw. Right. And unfortunately, I think it has to do with they really don't understand. I can't say thank you enough to my mother mm-hmm. to teach when we were teenagers mm-hmm. about organ donation mm-hmm. and to... Let us make our own decision, because in the long run, when that things happen with Joseph, it made it easier. Just like if you your loved ones 
talk to them and find out their feelings and what their choices Mm -hmm. would be. You don't have to donate everything because not everybody can. But figure out what you can donate and do that. So you and can you can say I want you to take exact, whatever is good, right. or I I only want to give my eyes right. or you, my whatever. That, yes. But also when we first met Patty Joe, she's from Life Center Northwest. Um, she was the one that was first on scene with my husband and I and the family to present the organ donation aspect, um, finding out if yes or no. And at that moment, you know, a lot of times they can't make that decision. We have to think about it. And that's the moment I'm talking about mm. that it was an easy one for us because we already knew. knew oh, Adrian, and I, I love can't that stress so that much. enough is there's such a need for it. Mm-hmm. And knowing what your loved one choices are mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier you have peace with it exactly and that's the perfect way it's peace because you're honoring your loved one and their last wish and you know and i can't encourage you enough if you can be a part of your recipient's life right. i well, mean you every single time you talk about turner you light up I have never, see, I'm going to cry, but I have never seen you be anything other than joyful mm-hmm. about it. And yeah. and then that takes me back to your favorite verse, that a joyful heart is good medicine. Yep. So I've never seen a tear. I have just seen this, this knowing. It's a peace. Of what you've, what you've been able to do. And yeah. yes, you are so at peace with and, it. And one of the things that people don't often realize correctly is only 1% of people who, who die in hospitals are even eligible to donate. And it's only because they are deemed to be brain dead Mm -hmm. and they're kept, their organs are kept alive on life support. Mm -hmm. And so the doctors do absolutely everything for that patient to save their life. Right, yes. But at the point at which it's determined that they can't, that's, it's only then and at that point that this doctors tell the donate life staff person that's there at the hospital that then they have the sure. opportunity to talk to the family whether they're an or a registered donor or whether they're not a registered donor <coughs> and what's interesting is 95% of people in this country believe in organ donation but only about 54% are registered donors mm-hmm. so and so if you're interested in becoming one there's another easy way it's uh, a website called registerme.org, and it's a simple process of about three or four minutes just answering some, you know, very basic questions. Or 90% of people that are registered go through the DMV. Mm-hmm. And we actually, mm-hmm. um, I, I volunteer with the Heart Association, and in the state of Washington four years ago, we actually got to do a training with all of the DMV people for four hours. Mm. So they understand the question that they're asking because as you get your license renewed or your first license, they ju- it's just part of the right. Just right. Steps standard of, question. of questions. And yeah. we felt that if we could give them a better understanding, 
you know, they could then ask it in a more appropriate way. Right. Um, and again, I, I can't stress enough, it all starts with the family, mm-hmm. back at the family. Right. You know, no matter Knowing how what old it is you are. And being able to th- you know, that. I just actually pulled out my driver's license because I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm you an should organ have donor. I want to be an yep. organ donor. Yes. Have a red heart. <laughs> I am That's an organ right. donor. Oh, gosh. Yes. Yes. But, but even, even though you are, it still takes your family sure. to yeah. agree. Yes. You, yes. you have whole, to sign this paper. And that's where Betty Jo comes in. Or Patty Jo, sorry. Um, she came in and introduced herself from Life Center and went over the process. And, you know, she even goes through the different things that you can donate. Is sure. this okay? Because you have to authorize every single donation if it's not marked you can't do it so does every hospital have a patty joe yeah okay that's it life center northwest what'll happen um when you know, they find out that they have an organ donor mm-hmm. they fly a representative out patty joe actually lives in billings she came to st pat's she was with us for the first 24 hours and during that 24 hours, she got all kind, did all kinds of tests and everything for matching. And she's the one that had that call to Turner done because um, she got all that test done. She's also the one that talked to us about the donation and what could be and what you know, and all that. And, of course, she, you know, helped us understand, answered our question, and like that. And it's very important um, from the moment that paper is signed from the family, from that moment on, all the medical bills are paid for. The family doesn't have to take care of it. And that's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars you know Mm -hmm. and we didn't have to worry about that wow so but that is their way of giving back right so so he had this terrible accident he was flowing to St. Pat's Uh so the timeline you knew that he wasn't going to come back or how as we were in constant contact as we were traveling from Oregon to here, to Montana, we were keep track, and it eventually came that they had to do what's called a brain blood flow x-ray from the time he was at the hospital to the time of this x-ray, which was the next morning, like 24 hours later. That's when it was confirmed that he had no brain function. Okay. But that happened bit by bit over time. Because mm-hmm. at first, it, he did have some brain mm-hmm. activity. Mm-hmm. But then it decreased and on and on. Wow. So here you are, um, frantic as a mother. Yeah. And then you get there and just realize that this is the road that God yep. has chosen for your son. Yep. It God's will. You know, and then when we met Turner and heard his side of the story of 
getting his family being with him when he got the call and stuff. It's just like it just reinforced our belief that did the right Joseph thing. had work to do oh. for God, oh. you know, for our Heavenly Father at that particular moment because God needed him for Turner and all of his other recipients. So what people don't see right now because we're on a podcast uh-huh. is that Turner has shared, and I'm, uh, I can't take it, <laughs> he has shared his pictures of his family Mm-hmm. His beautiful daughters, he got to walk down the aisle. And his grandchildren. <laughs> the other at- thing that people don't <laughs> see is how often, Turner, you are reaching out and just touching Adrian's hand. Oh, yeah. And I'm the same and way. The same way. Yes. I'm blocked by the flowers. No, but it's just yeah. it's just incredible. I've been watching I, that, too. Yes. <laughs> I, I, wow, you guys are it's something a, special. It's oh. an incredible bond. And I want you to explain something that only you can, being Joseph's recipient, what did you not like before you had your transplant, and then what do you like now after your transplant? We were talking about <laughs> it last night at dinner. <laughs> yeah, people, people like to ask if your personality or anything has changed after you had a transplant. Um, I can tell you one thing. I was um, just out of the hospital. We all have dreams, but I rarely remember them. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered this one. It was very vivid. I was out in the beautiful countryside just walking. Um, I walked up upon a stream. It was so crystal clear that you could see the tiny pebbles and rocks in the bottom of it. And then I was like lying on the bottom of the stream looking up through the water at the sky And the first time I came to Montana, and of course I didn't know where my heart came from, Mm. first time I came, they took me to a spot on the river that was Joseph's favorite spot where he would come and just sit in a chair. (sighs) And it was kind of a little eddy off where the water calms down. And Rocky Point. And we just got to, I got to walk in that, and it reminded me of that. Um. And the only other thing is, pre-transplant, I didn't really care for chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And post-transplant, I now like chocolate. And And Joseph Joseph couldn't get enough. (laughs) So... Oh, so you guys are so amazing. I just, I've been blubbering this whole time and I just can't even talk. I, you know, this, the, the ugly cry. You guys have just touched my heart and this. uh, Can can I say one more thing? How great the need is. Oh, yes. There there are 106,000 people in the United States waiting for organ transplants. Um, about 84,000 of those are waiting for kidneys. Wow. Um, and it's because of, unfortunately, our diet and some genetics and other reasons that we have so many people with kidney failure. And so the unless you have a family member or a friend who is a match to donate a kidney, if you're waiting for a blind match, if you will, like mm-hmm. I was a heart, mm-hmm. you're waiting five years. Mm-hmm. And if you know anyone who's ever been on dialysis, it is it is grueling. It is yeah. three to five days a week, four to five hours. You're 
arm, both arms end up getting used to have a port. It, it like I said about pain, it just, you can't have a life. You, you just are dialysis person. Yeah. And so it's, it's so huge. Um, I, in 2008, was one of 2,131 heart transplants in the United States. That number stayed fairly level, although the weight, I waited 15 months. The weight, from my experience of the people that I, I volunteer with, is down to, I have one lady that got it in 24 hours. Oh, mm. my um, goodness. But the average to me seems like three to four months, and it's it's the fact that we now, they reject fewer hearts mm-hmm. than they used to because we have more information, we have more technology sure. to know if it's going to be a heart that will, you know, last for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and along with that, so unfortunately with all these people waiting, we lose about 16 people a day um, die from lack of having the ability to have an or heart transplant. So, you know, w- without um, a donor, there's no organ, there's no transplant, and there's no miracle of the saving <coughs> of a life like you read in John. There's mm-hmm. no greater gift than to lay down your life for someone else. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the thing that's interesting, when as a person on the waiting list, when you first get asked, and I was, I was sick for 23 months before I got on the waiting list and was sick enough, and um, at that point I was going to cardiologist uh, appointments weekly, and um, he said, we're ready to list you, and I had to tell him that I, I have to think about it. Um, I have to wrap my head around it, and from other people that I've spoken to, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is we don't like the idea that someone has to die for us to live. Uh. But within within seven to ten days, um, you know, I thought about it a lot. I, I prayed about it, which was just a casual conversation with God, if you will. And, you know, he told me, you know, Turner, you have nothing to, to do with who lives and dies. Yeah. So if you are given a gift, and almost every donor family I've spoken to believe the same thing, just take that gift gratefully and use it and take care of it as best you can. Right. Because there actually are some recipients, and actually Christopher, who got Joseph's liver, he was 18 when he got it. He had been six since 12 years old. He never could get over what we call recipient remorse. And we actually sat in a, a meeting with sponsored by Donate Life the first time I came up mm-hmm. here in a round circle, and we were talking <coughs> about that kind of thing. And Christopher was so quiet, I couldn't even get him to talk. He raised his hand, and he said, I don't understand. I don't feel like that I deserve Joseph's heart, because Joseph also was 18. And... You know, there were two donor moms that just about jumped out of their their chairs and said, you know, we've lost our loved ones, but we can gain the satisfaction, the knowledge, and the peace of knowing that we have 
help save someone else's life. Yeah, that, that's what that, they would want. That our loved that's one lives wanted. on through through yeah. them. So it is a true legacy. Right. And that type of peace can only be gotten through that journey. And it is a comforting peace, you know, that you wouldn't have or couldn't get without, you know. And that's why I stress Talk with your family, no matter how old you are, and find out what their wishes are. So you, know, if something does happen, you know without any question or any doubt of what their wishes are. I had no idea. I thought because I had the red heart on my driver's license, that's all I needed. Yep. So you guys, today has been just amazing. Eye-opening. Eye-opening, <laughs> and I just can't thank you enough for being here. Well, I'm honored to be here, and I definitely know Turner's honored to be <laughs> no. here. He just—he can't speak of the journey enough. Yes. Well, and, what an amazing, special man. Yes. Well, and I used to think that I lived a very common and humble and quiet life until age fifty, mm. and and I I went to a you know a, a very um, biblically oriented church called Calvary Fellowship. It started out the Jesus movement in the 60s in California. And um, I, I have to tell you, I, you got to be careful what you what you wish for because I got a testimony <laughs> that is beyond belief, and <sighs> I do. I enjoy, and I think it helps people for me to tell my story. And, and a lot of organ recipients are the same way, but there are also some that are just too shy or, yeah. or too... Unable to really speak about it. Well, this discussion we're having today, this is probably your thousandth oh, one, yeah. right? <laughs> because you've told, shared so much for the, so many. But for us to start out, you know, just reading these papers and reading the facts and figures is good because it gives you a, a solid base. But then to have you come in like you did and just give the rest of the story, I it's my appreciation and my uh, admiration for both of you out the roof. <laughs> Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm glad it came together, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> You've been on us for quite some time. Well, we usually wrap up the podcast with a grandma saying, and so we had asked Turner if there was anything he could share with us from his grandma. My grandma um, told us, and I had two older brothers and younger sister, so we were Rapscallions at times. That's a great word. Especially, yes, yes. especially around grandparents. Because you know you, you can get away with more. Oh, yeah. But she always told us, um, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that's also in the Bible that, you know, be careful what comes out of your mouth because you can't take it back. And our hearts aren't always pure and, and righteous. I think that nails it. So yeah. listeners, I hope you have gotten a lot out of this. I know I have learned a tremendous amount. Mm. Um, and I, I just so appreciate you being here with us. If you have not yet subscribed, please go do that on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and you can watch our episodes generally on YouTube. Um, we didn't get to be videoed today, which was a blessing for me and Julie because we've been crying. <laughs> the Lots of snot and the tears. But <laughs> oh. Anyway, thank you so much, and I think we're going to peace out, Girl Scouts. Oh, have a good day.
The caregiven name is a registered trademark of the Veritrust Health Incorporated Company. EPAGA is not connected to, affiliated with, or endorsed by Veritrust or any of its affiliates. 